Welcome to the Tramway Visual Arts Podcasts. In this episode, we are exploring the new Duncan Campbell exhibition that has just opened in Tramway 2, Tramway's main exhibition space. This exhibition is titled Make It New John and consists of a documentary film following the rise and fall of legendary engineer and inventor John DeLorean. Part expressionistic exploration of the American dream, part documentary, the film explores the creation of historical narratives and plays with the idea of truth and reality in the construction of narrative. Tramway is delighted to present Duncan Campbell's first major exhibition in Scotland, a new work co-commissioned by film and video umbrella Chisholm Hale, Tramway and the model gallery Sligo. Based on the life of American car engineer John DeLorean and the story of the failed car plant he set up in Northern Ireland in the 1980s, this ambitious work witnesses Campbell's increasing maturity and confidence as a filmmaker, with particular interest in the problematic relationship of truth and fiction in the documentary realm. After a meteoric rise through General Motors in the 1960s, John DeLorean was hailed as the saviour of the American motoring industry until he left General Motors in 1973 and established the DeLorean Motor Company in 1975. Easily gaining the support of the British and Irish government, he established a new car plant in Dunmurry, Northern Ireland, to produce his now iconic DMC-12 sports car, later made famous in the Back to the Future films. The factory started manufacturing cars in 1981, but by February 1982 was in receivership. DeLorean's reputation was further demolished amidst prosecution for drug smuggling, although cleared via a defence of entrapment, and he ultimately filed for bankruptcy in 1999. Make It New John follows previous works such as Falls, Burns, Malone's Fiddles from 2003, Ojo No, his 2006 work, and more recently Bernadette from 2008, all of which saw Campbell explore, in essence, the nature of storytelling. Mixing expressionistic with documentary and dramatic techniques, the film positions DeLorean's story as an indictment of the American dream itself. Ultimately, Make It New John outlines the impact of failed global capitalism on a personal human level, whilst allowing Campbell to continue his exploration of the construction, mediation and fallibility of historical narrative. Thanks again, Lorraine, for joining us. Um, Lorraine Wilson is the visual arts programmer here at Tramway, and she's going to chat to us now about Duncan's exhibition, Make It New John. So, Lorraine, first question, what can audiences expect when they visit this exhibition? Hi, Rosemary. Um, basically, we have uh, a film. It's a new commission. Um, when you step into the gallery, obviously, it's in darkness. Um, that's one of the beauties about Tramway 2. It's a constantly evolving space. Recent visitors will have seen it in daylight, so now we're going into a black space. We have a single screen and some benches. Um, the film's actually 50 minutes long, so we've provided some seating so people can feel comfortable. Just going into the um, exhibition guide that we've had uh, created for the Duncan exhibition, Isabel Harbison, who's written this essay on Duncan Campbell's work for the Exhibition Guide, suggests that the artist has been influenced in two very different artistic practices, which can be seen converging, if you like, in the film here, Make It New John. On the one hand, Duncan Campbell is influenced by the cinema verity styles of early documentary filmmakers, and on the other, the avant-garde writers and artists such as Samuel Beckett. So how do these very different influences, they seem kind of incompatible, but how do they manifest themselves in Duncan's work? In this film in particular, I think we can see clearly quite a span of different techniques and styles that Duncan's experimenting in. And some of those he's experimented in previous works and some of it is, is really a development for him that we would say probably loosely around three different sections. The early section is very expressionistic 
um, quite atmospheric and even the kind of soundtrack works with that. Then we go into a pretty much straightforward documentary section where Duncan has used archived information um, that would have been you know, on TV screens and in general news circulation in the 70s, late 70s and 80s. And then we go into a scripted and directed section at the end of the film, which is the new development for Duncan. So we can see that he's moving through different kind of dramatic techniques and, and different styles. Um, so as a whole, it's really a, a big move forward for Duncan as an artist. Duncan's really interested in exploring the agendas of people who make and edit film and these kind of the creation of narratives. What agendas do you think are play behind Duncan's own practice here? Well, I think as an artist, um, you know, the role of art is really to often stand outside um, different events or, or different um, sectors in society and we have to, you know, make sure that art has that space, you know, artists have that space to, to, to really comment on on how things function. Um, so really, Duncan's work is very much about how things are put together, the gaps between the truth and, and what we as viewers or um, just people in life are fed information and really exploring what those gaps in, in meaning and communication are. Um, so as an artist, I think he's constantly exploring those, those gaps. Isabel Harbison also discusses Duncan Campbell's developing use of sound. She tells us that after completing his MFA in 1998, Campbell set up Radio Tuesday in Glasgow with artists Alex Frost and Mark Vernon. Um, so what role does the soundtrack play in Make It New John? I would say yes. Obviously, it's 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 an important element in the total artwork. Um, certainly, it l lends in the first section this very kind of optimistic tone that really is because the film is tracing you know the the life of John DeLorean, and in effect looking at the the birth and death of of the American dream. The first section is very optimistic, and you have that kind of Beach Boys esque um, soundtrack at some points, and it's quite. Um, pacey and, as I say, quite optimistic and um, exciting in tone. And then, you know, kind of music disappears in the sef second section that's really, the sound is really about this documentary footage and so it becomes quieter towards the end as gradually all of the characters disappear and it comes down to the story of one man, one man called John, mm -hmm. who effectively represents... Um, the workers that were um, sacked when the car plant in, in Belfast failed. And again, we're left to think about the life of the, the other John in the film, which is you know John DeLorean. So if you think about sound as an element in the film, it starts off quite um, energetic and it becomes quieter and quieter. And really, as I say, it comes down to the story of one man and one voice and really what the impact of that is on the larger scale, on a worldwide global scale. Um, so Make It New John has been described as a development towards feature films. In this last section especially there is a kind of scripted element, um, almost um, a kind of fictional development away from documentary. Do you think um, this move towards feature film is a, is a fair assessment? I definitely think it's a move forward for him in terms of um, duration. It's, it's a huge undertaking to really script and edit and deal with all the archive footage that he's put together and it really is a huge achievement. Um, so who knows for Duncan, maybe it is you know, a way forward, but as he said, he doesn't know what he'll be doing next. And you know, there's, of, 
you know, currently a trend, you know, for a visual artist to move into feature film. I've got two really um, prominent examples in Steve McQueen and Sam Taylor would have both made made the move into feature film. Um, that could be Duncan, but um, he said himself, kind of watch the space. He's not, you know, entirely sure what he'll be doing next. But I think as a, as a, a move forward in his own work and practice, it's, it's a huge leap. So Lorraine, can you tell us a bit more about the film screenings that are happening in association with this Duncan Campbell exhibition? Yeah, um, we're programming the exhibition um, to coincide with Glasgow Film Festival. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, if Duncan's moving in that direction, feature film, it's a really good fit and hopefully will bring a lot of people um, that are maybe new to artist film and video through this exhibition, bring them to Tramway. We have three nights of films programmed. I asked Duncan if he wanted to choose anything himself and he chose the first film, which is a film directed by Samuel Beckett from one of his own plays called Comedy. It's rarely seen and it's kind of known as a masterpiece of modernity and I think um, once you've seen that, that you'll understand there are some elements that have influenced Duncan in his own work. So that's great to get that. It's quite a difficult film to to mm -hmm. select to get. Um, also that night we're showing uh, a st kind of straightforward documentary on the life of Bastian Adder. It's called Here Is Always Somewhere Else and um, Bastian Adder disappeared at sea, he was a performance artist, disappeared at sea in, in the 70s and it's not only the story of him but it's also a kind of sweeping overview of, of contemporary art films so people like Tacita Dean and Chris Burden are interviewed so it's a really nice compliment and again always referencing the idea that um, Duncan has basically made you know in, to all intents and purposes a documentary himself so those that was my starting point for bringing the film programme together. On the Thursday night, um, an artist that's worked with Tramway in the past, James Richards, has put together two programmes we're really excited about, and one of the artists he's um, selected is Duncan, so again, another chance to see something else by Duncan that you can put this film in context with. And on the Friday night, um, I'm really happy to show a film by Peter Watkins. Uh, Peter Watkins is really well thought of in terms of challenging what it was um, to create documentary film and this film is Punishment Park um, and I think in the context again of it being the film festival but also this idea about documentary and somebody who's really um, taking the idea of using different archival footage and putting it together in a different way and representing information to a different contemporary audience, Peter Watkins is very important for that and again I think you can see the link with Duncan's own work so fantastic package um, I hope people will Really That's enjoy. Great. So um, these tickets are available from the box office if anyone wants to go to the film. Screenings. They're available both from Tramway and from the GFT. So we're working together on that. That's great. Thank you. Um, and last thing I want to ask you is we've also got a book launch, I understand, that's in collaboration with the Duncan Campbell exhibition. Yep. Basically, this is a partnership project, um, a co-commission between Tramway, Film and Video Umbrella, Chisholm Hale and the Model Sligo. And we're really excited to work with these different peer organisations. It's enabled us to um, offer Duncan a really fantastic opportunity, and a bigger budget and a lot of partnership and a lot of support from the four different organisations. And not only in the commission and presentation of the film, but we're working together on a new publication on Duncan's work. So the launch for that is on Sunday, the 28th, and I'm um, coinciding that with a talk, an artist talk. I always think it's important to, to um, hear what the artist has to say for themselves. A lot of the information we get about artists and their work is through press releases or um, that's um, that kind of 
mediated information and I think in the context of Duncan's works I'm great to hear from himself so I've asked a, a director and a screenwriter Eleanor Yule to do a conversation with um, Duncan on the Sunday in the context of again Glasgow Film Festival her working in film and, and TV it'll be an interesting um, conversation I think previous ones Duncan's had um, in London in the Chisholm Hill when the show was first um, presented just in November there they were taken from perhaps maybe a socio-economic point of view or kind of art historical point of view. So this is us looking at it again, maybe more in the development of film and Duncan's work in that. That's great. And that uh, light. again, tickets are available. It's open to everybody. It's free. So it's first come, first served, basically. Great. Thank you very much, Lorraine. Uh, well, the the exhibition that I'm putting on at Tramway um, basically consists of a film that I've made um, which is about um, the DeLorean car. Um, so people will probably f be familiar with the car if they've seen the Back to the Future film. Um, my, my initial interest in, in the, um, or the, the spark, I suppose, for the for project was, um, was the car itself. Um, and I have to say that I am, I mean, I'm familiar with it from that film. Like, it's a kind of a, I guess it's a popular cultural uh, reference. But then I think that um, it, it is, it's it's like a design icon of the 1980s. The thing that I found quite fascinating, just even doing a little bit of research, is that there's a huge discrepancy between the um, perception of the car and the reality of the car, because it's something that people ma massively project onto and you know seems to embody so many things for a lot of people but in terms of its essential function it's it's actually very bad it's a sports car that doesn't go very fast it's got very soupy suspension leaky windows um so that was the that was the initial that was uh, probably summed up my initial interest I mean, I think there is a certain there is a certain amount of um, nostalgia which is caught up in the whole nostalgia for everything from the nineteen eighties. But I think it there, there was um, that's not to say that you know before this kind of um, before this kind of eighties revival came along because there were people that were really you know from from the time and since then are just interested in the car. So so that's that's somewhat separate for from from the nostalgia I would say it's probably more of a, it's more of a fetish thing you know for um and and that's kind of bound up in all the the sort of um mythology about John DeLorean I mean generally speaking the mythology about cars and particularly in America in the American psyche the place that cars have this sort of almost fact that they're almost sacred objects and they embody so much in terms of um you know this kind of american right almost to mobility and to to kind of go somewhere and start afresh and but he also then bought a lot bought a lot uh, more to it so uh, for example with the delorean motor company it was um uh, it was explicitly uh, marketed as a as an ethical company that the car in comparison to the cars that were being produced in Detroit at the time the, the reason for the stainless steel, steel body for example was that um, the, the car would be much longer lasting that you wouldn't have to renew your car every 
and it, I mean, it didn't really kind of, uh, uh, in reality, it, it, that that wasn't the case. I mean, it was it was it was a very flawed car, but he he did make all these claims about it being ethical, and also on the grounds of the um, the, the conditions for the workers who who produced the cars. They were, um, uh, I mean, f for the time for in, for for a similar kind of. Um, in uh, industrial kind of setting, they were quite um, very clean and um, you know not all the kind of noxious fumes and that that you expect. So, um, so I think that that's there's there's an element of the the the, the eighties revival, but then I think that also that there there is this kind of persistent and kind of lingering um, mythology that uh, that was really kind of spun around John DeLorean. So. Uh, I think that was probably what I was more interested in than the the eighties nostalgia. The thing that I found uh, re researching the project is that um, he's a very divisive character. People people's opinions of him are very polarized. So they either um, think that he's um, amazing, the car is amazing, and believe in all the kind of um, believe all the claims and all the, the, all the sort of optimism that he embodied. Um, and then on the other hand, you have um, people who just think, and from even from the very start, even when things were, seemed to be going well, uh, you know, with the factory and with the production of the car, were very critical, um, mainly to do with the amount of public money that went into the project. I mean, it was, Initially, it was seventy. In terms of the initial setup cost, seventy percent of the money came from the British government, and that amount increased. So it was something close. It was something closer to ninety, and then, which is quite, it's quite phenomenal, really, for for that kind of endeavour. So you do have a, a, a body of people who basically, from the beginning, thought he was a crook, and um, I don't think that either. I think it's. They're quite one-dimensional positions, and um, I think that um, there, obviously, if you do kind of look at, for example, how he, how the money that went into the project and how large parts of it were misused, um, it's hard not to have some sympathy with the pe people who think he's a crook. But then, at the same time, there's no denying that um, he had he had this incredible kind of. Um, he had this incredible engineering gift, so there is, there is, um, there's sort of genius, particularly in this time of General Motors. You know, there is, um, there's, there's, it, it's, um, it was talent that kind of propelled him along. So there's no sort of denying that. So, um, so neither I wouldn't kind of veer towards either position. You're an artist that lives and works in Glasgow. What relationship do you have with Tramway? Well, uh, it goes back quite a long way. I originally moved to Glasgow to um, study on the MFA course in um, at the Glasgow School of Art. So, of course, we did our uh, actually we were the first year to have the to have our degree show in Tramway. Um, so, it goes back to then. Um, I think obviously that there have been. Um, a lot of um, quite quite seminal shows, and you know, in in, in sort of recentish um, 
you know, in terms of the art world in Glasgow. I mean, uh, well, Douglas Gordon's uh, the 24-hour psycho thing, that was a little bit before my time or a little bit before I'd moved to Glasgow. I was certainly aware of it and aware of Tramway being the, the venue that sort of had made that possible. But then, I mean, just to name but a few, um, Thomas Sullivan and Joanne Tatum's Heroin Kills and uh, Martin Boyce. Um, I think, I mean, I think the thing is it presents a sort of unique challenge because of the because of the size of the space and um, I think works that kind of take that on, you know, it's, um, you know, I think that's really what sort of, um, it's the only kind of venue of its sort, I think, in, in Glasgow, you know, that you have this, this one piece of work, this one space and the relationship between the two of them. Hundreds of engines and other components as you assemble them in the cars, but the basic Thanks very much for talking to us. Uh, right. Can you just introduce yourself first of all? Uh, hi, my name's Simon Gowing, and uh, I'm the gallery manager at Studio Warehouse. Thank you. And uh, you've just been in to see the DeLorean exhibition, Make yeah. It New John. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the exhibition? Um, I, I haven't I haven't seen a, a, a projection on that scale in that space. Um, I've seen obviously like the the pictures of when D uh, Douglas Gordon did 24 Hour Psycho, like way way back. Um, it's re really impressive and, and, and fills, fills the space really, really well. I enjoyed it, the, uh, the dramatised bit, I think, at the, I think it's the end, um, was um, it's a bit of a curveball and I didn't think that I'd, I, I'd, I'd like it, but I think the, the rest, you know, the found footage all like framed that really nicely. I am Diane Hutchison. Uh, I'm a friend, I suppose, of the artist in the main show, Duncan Campbell and I'm also a full-time student at Glasgow School of Art. I haven't seen the whole show, but the, yeah, I have watched probably about, I think I, think I saw half of it, and I've, I'm committing to come back and watching it properly and, you know, in its entirety. I, I sat down and started watching it and got a, ta a tiny bit confused when I realised, was I watching a documentary or watching, I hadn't, you know, the, the detail of the film wasn't clear to me. What I mean, it hadn't been already, been, I hadn't been told about it. And I was trying to work out if it was actors involved or not, and that was really starting to like, <laughs> consume me a bit. Like, are the actors, are the men, are the you know the workers, whatever? And I, I found that actually uh, quite interesting, quite entertaining. Oh, uh, my name is Michael McDonough. Thanks, Michael. Thanks uh, for chatting to us today. Yeah. Um, so the preview night is in full swing. Everyone's enjoying a glass of wine. Um, and Duncan Campbell's film's just been shown for the first time. What's your first reaction to the film? Um, I've heard about Duncan for a while, but this is the first time I've actually seen a piece of his work. And um, I was loving the, the, the middle section of it and the rhythms of the film. Um, I kind of know a bit about film and, and filmmaking and seeing the, the... It seems to me in seeing his work for the first time that seeing the... Um, you know, seeing the makings of a news bulletin or all of this, it's all used footage, but it's not, it's, it's the unedited news footage put together, so you're seeing the scrappy beginning, the scrappy end, and it actually gives it an amazing kind of rhythm. I was actually surprised, it's the first time I've seen the film as well, I was surprised at um, how many quite humorous moments there were and how much uh -huh, the crowd uh -huh. was kind of laughing along with, the, with some of the juxtaposition of, of images and, Absolutely. and the way cut together. And I think it was um, the, you know, that's what I realised it was actors, the subtlety of the eye movements 
I suddenly realised they were intentional as opposed to like you know men picking up a paper at a table and reading it. It was like looking at the uh, the, the, the voice that was asking. No, it was, it was. I really enjoyed that part of it. Duncan Campbell was born in 1972 in Dublin. He completed his Master of Fine Art at the Glasgow School of Art and is still based in Glasgow. His artistic practice has consisted of a diverse output and includes knitted versions of nightclub posters and creating the artist-run radio station Radio Tuesday. But in recent years, he has concentrated on filmmaking and moving image. In 2008, Campbell was the recipient of the Balois Art Prize and a Paul Hamlin Foundation Award for Artists and was one of four shortlisted artists nominated for the inaugural Jarman Award in 2008. Recent solo exhibitions include the Kunstverein Munich, Ludlow 38 New York and the Scottish National Gallery of Modern Art, all in 2009. Recent group shows include Asking Not Telling at the Institute of Contemporary Art Philadelphia in 2009 and 2010 and Fight the Power at the Museo Nacional Centro de Art in Rina Sofia in 2009. His work has also been featured in Art Now Lightbox at the Tate Britain in London in 2006 and Manifesto 5 at the European Biennial of Contemporary Art, San Sebastian, in 2004 and is held in collections by Tate London, MIT Boston, the National Galleries of Scotland and Mumok in Vienna. Why can't you tell us exactly how much money is going Because this is a confidential matter of the discussions that we've stuck to this now through all our discussions with other journalists. So I'm speaking to Duncan Campbell now, it's a preview night and there's been a fantastic turnout for the opening night. Uh, how, how are you feeling tonight's gone? Well, it's a little hard to tell, I haven't spent very much time in the space. Um, seems to be uh, people have stayed in and watched the, watched the film. A lot of them seem to have watched it from beginning to end, which is all you can really ask for. I think uh, remains to be seen, kind of transpire in the day to co days to come. I think it's that sort of thing that's maybe like not like um, going and seeing like a big piece of sculpture where you get an instantaneous reaction. I know myself when I go and see any sort of film, it takes a while for it to kind of seep in. So you know, in the day in the days weeks to come probably get more of a reaction to it. Uh, the most amazing thing about the film actually I think is the very final piece uh, which is um, almost like a recreation of that style of filmmaking uh, and it's so lyrical and uh, you kind of get into a rhythm of watching the, the real and in inverted commas footage and then you slide into this last piece and uh, it's absolutely seamless and I just thought it was amazing. I was actually blown away by that last section coming on top of all the other found footage, as it were. Um, it was stunning. I mean, you could divide the film probably into four or five quite distinct parts and, and that being being one of them. Uh, I think, uh, for me, it's probably the, mo the one that I'm probably mo most sensitive about, obviously, having... I mean, it, the dialogue in it is based on a lot of archival or printed archival material. Um, but nevertheless, it is something that I've scripted, scripted myself. So um, it's probably the one. But I think it is like compared because all the other like what what precedes that, or even if you can kind of break it down into uh, stylistically into different kind of styles of documentary, um, 
it is a kind of a break with that. Um, but I think it's quite I think it's quite interesting that that sort of uh, kind of throws people in a way. You know, I think that that's uh, it's quite an interesting fact that um, that that's been happening. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm still trying to digest actually, you know, in relation to the rest of it, because in terms of the idea that you have, or the idea that I had making the film, in terms of the sort of function that that would perform, once it's made and once everything's edited together, completely changes. So um, still trying to kind of digest exactly what it does. So um, again, I'll uh, ask me next week. Tramway have a number of resources for anyone wanting to find out more about the exhibition and the artist Duncan Campbell. The exhibition guide is available at the gallery and contains a full essay from the writer and curator Isabel Harbison and also contains an interview with the artist which is perfect if you want to learn more about Duncan Campbell and his work. There is also an adjunct programme of films in association with Glasgow Film Festival running on the 24th, 25th and 26th of February. Last season we had a family day event um, in conjunction with the Lara Favoretto exhibition and this time we're doing something similar for Duncan Campbell's exhibition. The family day is going to be on the 27th of February, that's a Saturday, from 10am to 5pm. There's going to be free activities for families and it's uh, suitable for children of all ages and it includes an installation by Star Catchers suitable for children under five and there will be workshops for children aged six to 13 exploring some of the themes in Duncan's work a quiz and we will also be handing out some goodie bags on the day. The workshop places are limited so anyone interested in attending should contact the box office and that telephone number is 0845 All the information about the venue, the programme and how to get to Tramway is available through our website www.tramway.org. Duncan Campbell's Make It New John runs until Sunday the 14th of March. The gallery is open to the public 12 noon to 5pm, Tuesdays to Fridays, and 12 to 6pm, Saturdays and Sundays. Tramway is closed to the public on Mondays. This podcast was recorded and edited by Glasgow Podcart on behalf of Tramway. See www.glasgowpodcart.com for more information.